So yeah, that any sort of addiction that is, it's like you're in a prison. You can't get away from it. You know, you, you, uh, you're not free. Um, and I'm just very, very happy to be free of that. It's, it's an amazing feeling. I'm smiling right now. <laughs> is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Darkest to Life, an Our Collective Journey podcast here at the Plugged In Media Network. I am Rick and today we got uh, Ryan here and Mr. Bill Shea is our guest. Hi Bill. Hi Rick. Hi Ryan. <laughs> Hi Bill. <laughs> There's been a few giggles in the studio so far, so I'm sure this will be a bit of a shit show could be interesting it's it's already by far my favorite episode <laughs> good start good start <laughs> so a little bit of background bill is in a relationship with a cousin of mine and he has been a pretty significant part and and witness to my progress i guess um he was one of the first guys that ever he, well, I don't want to tell too much of your story, but uh, Bill's Bill's in in recovery. He's uh, he's battled his own shit, and I remember first time I met him, I was still well, a full blown maniac, I guess. And uh, I remember still are, <laughs> still are. Thanks. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. And uh, I remember having a chat with him in my kitchen one time, and uh, I was polluted as I typically was by, you know, midnight or so. And, uh, and I remember just being blown away. I'm like, so wait a minute, let me get this straight. So like, you don't drink anymore. You used to drink, but you don't. He's like, yep. And I'm like, and you're okay with that. He's like, yep. And it just blew me away. And it was the first example I had and without even realizing what I was, one, I was curious, which I didn't even know I was curious that that was possible. And the second thing was, this guy wasn't what I thought a guy in recovery looked like, sure. nor was he a guy that I thought an alcoholic looked like. And he's been there for me ever since. He's been there in the darkest of moments for me. Um, like, in, in all honesty, you're, one of, you're on a very short list of people that have literally saved my life. Um, so I love you. Thanks for that. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for not letting me kill myself. Love you, buddy. <laughs> I already feel like crying. I haven't even started talking yet. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's so true though, right? Like when you are in active addiction and full blown alcoholic, right? To try to fathom what life would look like without booze or drugs it's in it. It's impossible. It's uncomprehensible. Why would anybody do that? What fun is there? Why would you possibly stop that? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like this is a great time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to kill myself, but other than that, it's yeah. a great time. Yeah, I love washing vomit out of my shirts. <laughs> and we uh we talked about that at the time too, because uh you know, after you said that, first thing that popped into my head was, you know, this is you don't think I want to keep on partying. And I could see and we talked about this and I could see in your face that it's like, Wow, what a loser. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Seriously? <laughs> I'm dying here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that's one of the things that 
it just reframed my opinion, I think, of what it what it was that I was maybe looking at and what I was dealing with. And to be honest with you, I still was like, this guy's a loser. Like, who doesn't get <laughs> fucked up? And then kind of just parked it over here for a little while longer while I did a few few more rounds of research and development on what substance abuse looks like. <laughs> and then uh, actually, it's it's kind of crazy the role that you did play because while uh, when September 16, 2016 is my is my sobriety date and I was actually supposed to be getting on a plane to go see you in Toronto. I think it was like on the 18th we had we were going to go watch the last series of the Jays. Yep. <clears throat> like they were playing the Yankees. And uh, yeah, I had plane tickets booked. I was like I was coming to Toronto to hang out with you for 10 days or something and uh and so that that gap in time where nobody expected me to be around Medicine Hat is actually where I started getting sober. Um, and I never made it to Toronto that time, but uh, you talked me through some dark times. Wow. So thanks for that. Well, no, I, uh, I remember first time I met you, you had a gigantic cut on your arm and <laughs> you, know, you were making light of it. And uh, later on, I, I turned. I still got that scar, man. Yeah, that was a good one. Turned to your cousin and said, "He's uh, he's an addict, <laughs> and uh, I got to help him." <laughs> wow. Took took a couple of years after that, but uh, I was a slow learner. You came around. Yeah, yeah, we got there. We got there in the end. Now we help each other. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your story, Bill? Sure. Where would you like me to start? <laughs> well, does your nose always look like that? It's uh, it's always been this way after I hit uh, adolescence. I have an unusually uh, shaped and sized nose that uh, Rick likes to uh, joke about. Although other than that, I'm a very very handsome man. Uh, I like to think. <laughs> Speaking of handsome, so let's go back. I uh, I remember my very first uh, beer. Uh, I was ten years old at a friend's place, and uh, their their parents and their family were a bit lax. And uh, the my friend's sister said, you guys can have one beer each. And I remember drinking that beer and thinking, wow, this is a good feeling. Yeah. And watching Saturday Night Live, this is back in the 70s because I'm an old man. <laughs> and and that was that was really the start of that feeling for me. Um, and speaking of sort of feelings, I think that I always felt, I don't know, different, but I always had sort of, um, what I would consider to be dark feelings that, uh, and not particularly, I didn't know there was any difference. I just knew that I, I had feelings of anxiety when I was young and I always had that sort of feeling inside. And, um, as I got older and started drinking more, I come from an Irish Catholic family. So there was some drinking going on. <laughs> there was a fair bit of alcoholism in the family. And as I became a teenager, uh, started getting into it even more. And uh, as probably we all do, I noticed that I drank a little bit more than everybody else. Um, and at the time, obviously, you don't think about those types of things and you're getting into to drugs and alcohol more. Again, as time went on, it sort of escalated and escalated. And um, I could see friends that I had friends that were going along the journey with me, the, the alcohol journey. And I mm -hmm. had friends that had sort of taken it easy. Um, but it wasn't until really... Uh, I got older. I got married young. Um, well, I got with my ex-wife. Ex-wife. Did you hear that, everybody? Ex-wife. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. Cliffhanger. Yeah. I got with my ex-wife when I was 19 years old. Um, 
and that's when her you know her her nagging about my drinking started it's good nagging later but uh but she recognized that I had an issue and we were together for still 25 years and all that time there was uh there was still drinking and and drugs but I tried to keep it under control and I tried to to hide it as much as I could mm-hmm. but we had friends that liked to drink too and we would go out and party just like everybody else um and then when I started having trouble in my relationship um and again I think I would have trouble in in most relationships just because of the way I feel and the way that I feel you know not always feeling that somebody can fully love you and I felt that way it's you know I always doubted that people love me um so I was always looking for that so that escalated and my drinking started to escalate until it probably really started to break down um, maybe big time two years before uh, my sobriety date and the relationship was breaking down and I started drinking very, very heavily and and going out every night to the point where um, finally uh, my ex-wife made the right decision and kicked me out of the house. So that made me think it gave me pause at the time. And, you know, I went and lived with my parents and I, uh, I stopped drinking, um, for six months. <laughs> and then she went through some sort of crazy seminar or something that was, was the wrong thing. Cause in this seminar, they basically said that, you know, Hey, you, you committed to somebody and you've got to stand by them. So she said, you know, I should have stood by you and committed. So she took me back and that lasted, uh, about, two months because <laughs> at the time uh, I was having uh, I was having an affair um, and she found out about it and then things really broke down for me at that point um, and as soon as she found out about that that was it we were done uh, this is a 25 year relationship that ended uh, we had uh, at the time a 12 year old daughter house dogs cars all the rest of it um, and that was over for me uh, it took me a while to realize that that was that was the fact, but uh, that was easily the darkest time of my life. Um, and luckily for me, I realized that uh, I needed to do something, and that that was my bottom. And and I I realized that I needed to do something. Um, and I went to a I went to my doctor. I went to you know I, I had an addictions counselor. Actually, speaking of the addictions counselor, I was going to an addictions counselor. Before that, and she at one point looked at me and said, so Bill, when did you stop drinking? And I said, well, I haven't. <laughs> and then she got the sort of blank look on her face. And, well, what are you doing here? It's like, well, that's where I want to get to. <laughs> so that was funny. And I, I would leave. Is that straight out of the textbook, Ryan? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, would, I would leave the addiction counselor to, and to celebrate, I would go uh, drinking. Uh, and I didn't see anything wrong with that. Uh, yeah, just, just going back a bit. I also tried the, the and I'm doing air quotes, everybody the reduction of harm program <laughs> that uh, it didn't reduce my harm. So I would always, I would go to those meetings. They were fun. And then I would go drinking. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. I, uh, I realized this. So I actually asked my doctor to, to get me into a program and he said, Oh, Bill, I don't think, because I was very, very good at hiding. Yeah. Um, I think like a lot of us are. And I know, I know Rick was the same. You, you know, some of us are, are very good at hiding it. We can still be very successful um, and hide our addictions. Um, and seemingly on the outside, you're, you're having a good life. Everything's sure. together, but, but that's obviously not the case. So um, I checked myself into a, a treatment center. He said, I don't think you need to do that. And I said, no, I really do. 
There's no other, there's no other way I'm going to stop this. Trust me. I can't do outpatient. I can't yeah. do any of that. I need to go to a treatment center. So I did. I went to uh, a place called Homewood um, in Ontario. Um, it was a uh, five-week program, I think. And uh, as I was leaving that program, too, I, you, you do your little talk. And I said, um, I said, you know, I came in here uh, planning my, uh, um, what, do you, what do you call it, the, the opposite to recovery? <laughs> relapse. <laughs> relapse. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry. I was planning my relapse and I left. Uh, I'm leaving now planning my recovery. So, um, and that was, uh, I went in there December 5th, uh, 2012. Nice. And, uh, I've been, uh, I've been sober ever since did, uh, again, relationship was still over. Uh, I didn't, didn't get back to that. Uh, and I got together with, uh, um, Rick's lovely cousin and, uh, we have a child now and I'm very, very, very happy. And I'm super happy to have, uh, to have Rick in my life. It's been fantastic. We help each other a lot. Um, and it's part of our journey together. Uh, and we, we don't talk about it necessarily a lot, but when we need to talk to one another, we do. Uh, and it's always great. It always makes me feel uh, great. Um, and I'm happy that we can help each other and we have each other in our lives. And, you know, we live in different provinces, but, you know, that's what phones are for. For now. For now. I'm yeah. Trying to draw them into the southern Alberta region. Oh, nice. Another transplant. Well, you know, I don't think any of us are from here. Houses are expensive in Toronto. You should yeah. probably just move here. Come on out. I'm coming. <laughs> so that's that's the abridged version of my uh, of my story. Well, I think what's interesting about it is a lot of the guests that we have on here are like the Prairie Boys, the Southern Alberta, Saskatchewan, the oil field, you know, the man's men, you know, you, even you constantly joking about driving around. He's like, does everybody drive a goddamn truck in this city? (laughs) Are you saying I'm a little princess? Well, (laughs) that's good. But I, I think what it speaks to is like, this isn't. Uh, again, you know, it, it's not a regional issue. We, we we did talk a lot about, you know, the Southern Alberta, the the environment that we all collectively grew up in, but it's eerily similar, the story mm. coming from a guy that grew up in the inner city of Toronto, right? The the feelings, the emotions, the sense of inequity, the, uh, you know, I'm not enough. Will people ever love me? The, I feel different. It's, it's all the same shit. Absolutely. And I think that's what's, you know, the significant part of, of, what we're trying to do here is, is unfortunately, none of us are special, unique butterflies, right? <laughs> no, no, we want to be. Yeah. We think we, we, we are. all think yeah. we are. We'll, 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 I think that's part of the illness, right? Yeah, it, absolutely. It, it isolates you by telling you you're different, but yeah. the reality of it is you're, you know, you find the right group of people and you're surrounded by like-minded individuals that can understand you on a level that, well, even your doctor yeah. who's telling you you don't need to go to a treatment center yeah. can't, right? Yeah, and I mean, the uh, the addiction psychologist said the same thing to me. Um, yeah. And she, I remember at one point, uh, because I could I could talk, and she said, wow, you know yourself really well. And it was almost like I was sucking her in as well. I thought, this is a professional. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not, I wasn't, I don't think, actively trying to suck <laughs> her in, but, you know, I did. I think that, you know, mm-hmm. gave her this impression that, no, 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 you seem like a together fella, and... You know, you don't need this kind of stuff. Well, the mani- manipulation, right? It's just, it, I can't speak for anybody else, but I know I manipulated people sheerly for pleasure, I guess. Like, I can't even, there was no actual tangible benefit to me manipulating people. It was just what I did. Yeah. Like, I couldn't even help it. I, uh, 
I still do that. However, it's not for pleasure. I like to call it benevolent manipulation, (laughs) which means that I'm really doing this for your good as well as mine. (laughs) They just might not know yet. Yeah. And when I tell people that I I do that, they give me the the sideways look. Are you manipulating me right now? (laughs) No, of course I'm not manipulating you right now. Be silly. I wouldn't do that. That's crazy talk. (laughs) Grab me a coffee. (laughs) As you sit and tell your story, Bill, it's eerily similar to my story, right? Like Rick said, you come from the inner city in Toronto and I come from 16,000 people in Saskatchewan, a little oil and gas community, right? But our stories, checking all the boxes off, the painting looks amazing on the outside. Everything yep. is great, right? But behind it, oh my gosh, it's it's broken. Yeah, there's a storm going on there. Yeah, absolutely. And and every part of your story sounds so similar to mine, right? The the treatment. I, I go into the rooms of 12 step now. That's part of my ongoing life forever now. And I look at people that got clean or got sober and got into recovery without going to treatment. And I just wonder, how is that possible? For me, that was not possible. No, I needed that safe zone. I needed to get out of society and get to a treatment center because I was ready to kill myself. Yeah, I. it's the same. Yeah. I, I knew that I needed to be, for me, I knew I was like, I'm sure we all are. Um, very, very strong willed. Yeah. And I could, I could talk myself into pretty much anything. And I knew that I have to be immersed in this, you know, I have to give up my freedom of choice Mm -hmm. and my will. And that to me, intellectually, I knew that I need to give up my will because it's my will that's, that's keeping this going. Yeah. Because it's very strong willed, very stubborn. And if I don't get immersed in this and give up that will, um, it's not going to work. Yeah, for Um, sure. Me too. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing that uh, five weeks in that environment, which I would have thought it would have taken a heck of a lot longer. But going back to, I just wanted to talk about that for a minute, this whole idea of trying to imagine what life is like without drinking or your drug of choice. And I remember thinking that before I went in. It's like, I cannot imagine this. I can't imagine. I can't live without that. Right. That's That keeps that keeps me going. It's my, it's my only fun in life. Mm-hmm. Now, how am I going to laugh again? You know, how am I going to have fun? I'm going to be sitting in a room, bored, you know, playing Monopoly with myself or with my imaginary friend, Jimbo. (laughs) But we'll get to him later. (laughs) (laughs) At least you have Monopoly to play with. (laughs) No, it's so true. And, oh man, just the whole piece around treatment, right? Like we know so many people that, and I had the same impact, you know, people on my life when I went to treatment, I went twice. The first time I went, people thought, okay, now you're fixed. You're good. You've been to treatment. You should have this, right? Yeah. And it, you talked about the five weeks. You weren't sure that it was possible in five weeks. I was seven weeks the second time. But it, I think it all comes down to how broken and willing you are and the willingness to change. Yeah. Because it's possible. Absolutely. Like I look at Rick and the guys in, in the program he goes to and works that program. Those guys are doing, you know, the 12 steps in a short time frame. Yeah. And it all comes down to willingness. How willing are you to take any suggestion coming your way? That's exactly it. And, yeah. and, you know, like I said, I was, so we all know this, it's, it takes some people because they, they don't, they go in without the willingness. You, mm-hmm. you can see people that are in uh, treatment that have been there for, tw- like they've been there 12 times. Yeah. I, there was a guy in there that was in there 12 times. And so much so, you know, he was deciding what the next place he was going to go. He was planning the next place. <laughs> You know? This was just a layover. Yeah, always a layover. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and talking about, oh, they have TVs. And I was just going, oh. My goodness, I do not want to be that guy. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, and thank goodness I, you know, I did have the will. Yeah, Um, 
again, I also thank goodness that I have a, I had a, I think a low or, or a high bottom, sorry. Um, because everybody's will is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can keep that going. And, and it took me that one time to realize and to, and to stick with it. Uh, but wow. Yeah. That, uh, that will to, to stay in your addiction is so strong. Yeah. Um, Wow. And I think that coincides, like you said, everybody's will is different. And I think everybody's level of crisis is different too. Their bottom's going to be different, right? Yep. Like your ability to cope is different than mine. And when I reach my bottom, it might be not as low as yours, or it might be higher than yours, but yep. it's just recognizing that, man, this is, I'm completely broken and I need to change or I'm going to, well, who knows where you're going to end up, but it's yep. not going to be anywhere good. Well, yeah. I, I, it reminds me of uh, Mark T that we had in here and he was talking about how that, that was part of the piece that kept him out, right? Was he would sit in a room and look at everybody's teller story about the rock bottom. Yeah. And he'd be like, well, I've been to jail. I've got four DUIs. I've been bankrupt twice, you know? And he's like, I, I haven't hit any of those bottoms, so I'm still good. Yeah. Right. And so that's yeah. almost dangerous when you start throwing out your, your, your rock bottom. For sure. Right. Cause it's like, well. It, it can't help but become a measuring stick, right? When I yeah. think that feeds, sorry, I think that feeds right into your addiction too. I think for me personally, listening to those stories early on when I was thinking about getting into recovery and I was going to 12-step program, we talk about this lots where I was looking for every difference in that room. And when I heard those stories, I'm like, yep, you're a mess. Yep, I'm not you and I'm not you and I don't belong here. I'm yep. going back out there. Well, and <clears throat> I guess backpedaling even a little bit more, right? For me, that character that I was playing, this party animal maniac, as much as I think it was who I was, I like to convince myself it was just a character that I was playing. But <laughs> um, at the end of the day, it was like, if if I do remove that from me, what's left? Yeah. yeah. Right? Like it had become so intrinsically aligned with my identity. That's exactly right. That it was like, well, if I'm not that guy, what? I, what am I? I was also terrified of that. I, you know, that, you know, I have, uh, a big personality. I like to be the center of tension again, probably like we all do. <laughs> For sure. Um, and exactly. I thought, well, wait a second here. What's, uh, what's left. Um, I was, I was terrified of that outcome. I don't know who I am. Yeah. If, if I'm not defined by this. When I think uh, that you said terrifying and that's a huge feeling for all of us. I think I was fucking terrified yeah. of not knowing who I was. I was yeah. so connected to this guy who drank and drugged and a womanizer and an oil patch guy. And that was who I was. Yeah. And an old hockey player. I could lean on that story for the next 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just terrifying to think, man, if I take all that away, what am I? Yeah. And when you define yourself that way and you are in a, in a perverted sense, proud of it, you know, yeah. we all talked about, you know, how we do this and how we did that. You're, you're taking away some of your identity, maybe all of it in certain cases. Absolutely. You know? It's like and a badge of honor. It is. It yeah. is a badge of honor. And then now without that badge of honor, well, what do you got? Um, it's funny, the, the concept of, of having the will to quit, and I've always thought in simpler terms, and it's not this simple, but the, the pain of continuing has to be, you know, uh, worse than the pain of stopping. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and, and that's it. And that's some people's bottom is, is, is terrible. And because th- that addiction is keeping them going. No, nope. no matter what happens, uh, it's more painful, uh, to stop this, mm-hmm. you know, or to, or to, uh, <clears throat> to stop it. Yeah. Than it is to keep going. And, uh, and yeah, for me that, that pain of losing my family and everything that I cared about and loved. Yeah. 
it was enough for me. Um, and, and again, didn't launch me in to go to a, a, another bottom, right. the, the secondary bottom. <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> and you say that jokingly, but it's like, that's legit, right? I've seen lots of guys come into a room, come in looking for help. And they're like, I, I can't go anymore. I've hit my rock bottom. And you're like, I hope so. I hope you have, but I've heard a lot of guys hit the rock bottom. And then about three weeks in, they start feeling a little better. And then they go back out and they're like, no, fuck, I got this. Yeah, I'm good now. Yeah, Yeah, I got this. And then you see him come around about another six months later. And it's like, oh, no, that rock bottom wasn't at, like, here's why I'm now. You thought I was bad then, right? And it's like, you know, or or you could just actually concede to the fact that you can't do this. Yeah, exactly. And I know for me that that's nailed it part of my story right when I first went to treatment the first time um, I came out of treatment had the job had the marriage had the house had the finances had everything still in place I hadn't really lost anything just that image that maybe I had a problem and uh, I worked on that for another you know six months until I found all the differences in the meetings and all these other things and I could kind of hide it again and felt good like you just said and went back out using yeah and I ran that you know scenario for another year and a half until it took me right to suicide so when I came out of treatment, I've told this before, when I came out of treatment that time, those things were all gone. The job was gone. The wife was gone. The house was gone. I was financially ruined. Uh, 40 years old, moving back into mom's basement, right? So I don't think I've ever said this before, but I think I need to thank my ex-wife for kicking my useless ass out of the house and divorcing me because that was enough, you know, of a bottom for me to realize that everything and, and to finally see the impact I was having on everyone else, not just me anymore. Because up until then, it was all about me. And now I've like blowing all this stuff up in my life and everyone else's life impacted by that. And that was enough bottom for me, you know, taking that last train ride to suicide and seeing how it impacted everybody else was enough that I never took another drink or drug after that. Well, I'd like to officially thank my ex-wife yeah. as well. For, <laughs> this is the uh, thank the ex-wife party today. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. yeah. It took me a while to get to the thanking part, Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but it's absolutely true. I mean, if, uh, if, the truth is, if not for her, uh, I would still be using, yeah. um, and I needed that. She forced that bottom. She realized it at the time, and I think that she knew the, the consequences could be dire, mm-hmm. and, you know, luckily we're still friends, and uh, it, it worked out well. I, I remember being in treatment, too, though, and people going, I knew they were going back to their families, yeah. and that was a really lonely, <clears throat> sad feeling, because I knew I wasn't. Um, Yeah. It was, uh, that was hard to know that. Yeah. I'm, I remember when I, when, when my wife left me the last time and she was moving back to Medicine Hat, I remember the hardest day of my life, my entire life, the worst day of my life. Um, we had, we had agreed that we were going to rent a single house so that the kids didn't have to bounce back and forth. And, uh, I would, you know my week on, I would stay in the house and then I'd leave for her week on. So the kids didn't have to move. It was stable for them. Long story short, the day I moved them back, I moved all of my, all of their stuff into a house mm-hmm. and then left. Yeah. Right. And driving yeah. away from my life, what I thought was my life was the hardest, oh, yeah. hardest moment yeah. of my life. Wow. And it, uh, well, it got pretty bad there. Oh yeah. <laughs> Inside of a couple of days for that. Right. And, and I think that's, that's something too, right. Is when you get to that, there's a really, really fine, terrifying line between getting that dark, like feeling that much pain that 
perpetuates the change. Like there's so much guilt and shame that can come with that. There's, there's a lot of guys that oh, don't yeah. get to the change <clears throat> part, right? No. That they'll just see, you know, and that's what I hear when you talk about seeing how much pain you caused, right? When it stops being about you and you, and you start looking outward instead of inward. And I, I remember in those moments, like trying to explain to people how bad I was feeling. And it's like, dude, you just blew up your wife and kids house. Like how selfish are you that you're still concerned about how you feel because you're dealing with your actions. Oh yeah. And I remember just how hard it was to like, once I started thinking about the damage I caused everybody else and I could just Mm. get over my ego enough to even acknowledge that this might be affecting other people, how quickly that shifted, like we've talked about (laughs) from, you know, guilt to shame and the shame thing. I wasn't planning on sticking around for that. So it's this, it's this really terrifying balance, I think, of getting to that experience of having enough pain that you're willing to change, but living through it because there's a lot of people they don't make it through that part yeah and that's that's where you know and going back to our original conversation about when you were asking me is that we you know you mean you don't drink anymore and the the courage it takes us to do that i mean and you you nailed it because you don't have you have extreme shame you don't have your crutch anymore you know and often you don't have your family so the absolute worst time for you to pick yourself up and go, here we go. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to do this right. You, there's no reason to do it. Uh, and that's, that's also when I realized that I have no reason. I have nothing to go back to, and I'm still willing to do this. So this is going to stick Yeah, because it's the, obviously the absolute worst time to, to, uh, to get that bravery. And it takes a very strong person to do that. And uh, I remember when, when you, you did go into recovery. I was so, I was so proud of you. And I was so impressed that, uh, especially you, buddy. (laughs) That's a, that's a lot of stuff to give up right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lifestyle. Yeah. It wasn't a habit. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Um, Oh, geez. Oh, you go out every night there, six beers with the boys and I'm done. I'm done. It wasn't that. Oh my gosh. So that's, uh, that's incredible. And it's, uh, It's, it's so difficult. Um, and you know, I, that's, I think how I got over, well, I don't know if you ever get over the shame completely. I don't, I don't beat myself up for it, but I was also proud of myself Mm -hmm. for, for doing what I did. Um, and you know, that's, that's really the only thing that, that kept me from falling back into that shame. And I think, you know, I, that's still under the surface, obviously, but you, you have to get beyond that because yeah. you're not doing anybody any good by staying in shame. For sure. Yeah. And when you speak like that, when you say those words, it really reminds me of, you know, my life as well. And the shame, I, I relate that to dealing with grief as well. When I lost my father in 2006 to a vehicle accident, um, I can relate to the the immense amount of grief that something like that brings people, right? And for me, that that scale is quite even between the grief and the shame I caused in my act of addiction, right? And I don't think I ever learn, I don't think it ever goes away. It doesn't get smaller. Yeah. I just learn better tools and better coping mechanisms. And it, 
it's always with me, but I just learned how to live with it in a way healthier lifestyle than I used to before. I don't fall into the victim pattern anymore. I don't blame other people for all these things, right? I know um, what the grief looks like in my life and I know what the shame looks like in my life. I've just found way better ways to deal with it. And one of them is sitting around talking about it like this. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, at, I've, I've never heard that comparison before. I just lost my mother in February and uh, that feeling that grief and actually thinking about that. Mm-hmm. That wow, this is this is comparable to the way I felt, and it's it's not something that that leaves you. Yeah, it's just something you cope with better. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a it's an excellent comparison because that that's what it's about that 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 shame and those feelings around you know what what you did in active addiction stay with you, but you learn to cope with them better, and you learn to forgive yourself to a certain degree, and yeah. and uh, you learn how to, to to keep going, but. Uh, yeah, th- those things, those things don't go away. And that, that's one of the, the worst things, man, you, you know, the first thing I thought is, man, I ruined it for myself. You know, like, <laughs> I can't go drink anymore. I feel lousy all the time. <laughs> totally. this, I ruined it, <laughs> but I didn't ruin it because, uh, again, I, you know, you, you find, you find your happiness, you find your joy. Um, and I've, I'm a happy and joy filled person. I think, I think a lot of us are, yeah. uh, and, and sometimes that's kind of what, what leads you to the other, because, you know, if you're not happy and joy filled, you feel the other, you feel empty and alone. Uh, and that feeling of loneliness. Um, and you know, I always had sort of abandonment issues and, and it was something that stuck with me. I'm not sure why it was there, but it was always there. I felt that I was going to be abandoned, uh, for whatever reason. And I don't think it's ever happened to me, uh, maybe in another life, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, uh, that's, it's always there. And, and, you know, I tried to fill my life with, with joy and happiness. I like to be, I, I actually love to share my energy with people. I, it gives me great pleasure to see other people happy when I'm, you know, talking to them, joking around with them and, and keeping them going. But inside, you know, it's, it's different and, you know, you still feel lonely. And it's funny whenever I tell people, um, cause I'm a very outgoing, you know, gregarious person. When I tell people that I'm actually kind of, you know, I'm, sort of antisocial on the inside and, and, and kind of shy. Everybody goes, what? Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? And, and, but that's, that's a perfect point where nobody sees that. Nobody sees how you feel inside. They just see how you feel on the outside. Yeah. Or uh, not even how you feel, how you portray. How you portray on the outside. Exactly. Um, but yeah, your inside feelings are different. And um, it's, it's still hard for me to, to sort of expose, you know, what I'm feeling on the inside. I, you know, it's such a strong, uh, urge for me to, to, you know, show happiness yeah. on the outside. Uh, and still, I mean, that's, that's, I think that's who I am. It's like, you know, this little happy guy's in there, but there's also this kind of monster, you know, that's, that's standing over him. Right. Um, but, you know, I don't know what your, what, what your true being is or, or what that truth is, but I think that my, who I am is that happy person. Um, and I just want him to be able to come out and, and, and shine and not have this monster standing over top of him. Wow. Rick's the monster, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, I, I knew that was going on, like another analogy, but it's Rick. Rick is the monster. I'm not, I'm yeah. not the only one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. No, and I think that, you know, whatever that is, that monster, I think that's, you know, I'm coming up to five years now and like, it's still there and it's right there. Right. Oh, yeah. And it's, uh, it's it's not a constant battle like it was or I, 
that I thought it would be. But it's like this, I'm hyper aware it's there. I'm hyper aware that all of those character defects, all of that shit is still right there, right? And I think that's why I have to be so diligent in not even cheating a little bit, right? Because like, I think as soon as I were to give myself that permission for anything he would be like that first domino yeah falls oh, yeah. and that's breaking breaking the seal and that's it yeah, yeah. And, and you know it, it might not be the next day it might not be for a week but like yeah it's all coming down absolutely right? yeah. and so yeah. that's one of the benefits right of of knowing the pain of losing it all is like as hard as recovery's been living in that was way harder like i never want to feel that again so if this is the easier, softer way, right? Well, one of the terms they used in uh, recovery that appealed to me, uh, actually, maybe appeal is the word that related to me. <laughs> yeah, it appealed to me. Oh, Nothing my goodness. It, it appealed. Yeah. <laughs> Was that you play the tape to the end, and uh, the idea of that being that, you know, sure, you uh, you you maybe you get that thought in your head of like, oh, yeah, it's great drinking out in a patio. <clears throat> and I, whether by my own will or just by this this is the way it is i always jump to yeah you know the shame and the hangover and the that the those terrible feelings that i want to stay away from and that always brings me back to reality yeah. you know um but you know going back to what you said about those character flaws and you know what i still have some trouble uh dealing with is is dealing dealing with my character flaws without a crutch so it's it's made me have to look at myself um, and analyze those things about myself without washing it out of my head with, with, you know, drugs or alcohol. Um, and that's obviously a good thing because you're, you're, you're building on that, but it's not an easy thing. Right. Um, you know, you don't, nobody constantly wants, uh, any monkey on their back. So whether it's, whether it's your addiction, that's a monkey on your back or your character flaws that are kind of gnawing at you that you just want some rest from, you know, like, even if it's, even if, if it's for an hour, you want rest from that sort of that voice in your head. That's, that's you like a monkey on your back. It's, it's constantly there. Um, but again, that's something too, that I, um, I, I'm proud of myself about being able to deal with those things yeah. without running away from them. You know, I was super avoidant, you know, that was my thing avoidant. And, uh, I can still be, be that way for sure. And you not know, about serious things, about minor things like, you know, like mopping the floor, you can ask, uh, my partner about that, right? Your cousin, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but yeah, I, you know, it's, it, it was very, very easy for me to avoid and be avoidant. And I, you know, obviously drugs and alcohol is the best way to avoid. It just washes that away, but you have to deal with them. You know, it, uh, you're, you're dealing with those things and you're thinking about those things and you, <clears throat> there's no, there's no getting around that. And that's the way you truly deal with them. You know, if, if you're just washing something away, it's, it's not going to go away. You're not going to get better at dealing with it. You're not going to get better yeah. at coping with it. It's funny you mentioned that because my fiance and I, we were just talking about this last night. A meme came up on Instagram or something, right? And it was, what kind of uh, coping mechanisms do you have, right? What is your what is your default? And when it comes to conflict, and my she's she pointed it out. She said, I think unless you're you're actively working on it all the time, but I think if you fall into that you know that lull where you're not, your your default setting is avoidance. Like you avoid everything. And I'm like, yeah, that's crazy. And in recovery six and a half years into recovery i'm still that's my default setting is avoidance right and that's where the drugs and alcohol came in for me right. all the time yeah. was 
I'll just get high and drunk and avoid everything, avoid life, exactly. every problem. Well, that, that's exactly it. And again, to Rick's point, those things don't go away. Those, totally. Those character defects, well, I don't even call them character defects. It's the way that we're built. And, you know, you, <clears throat> you, you have to learn how to be, how to deal with those things in the way that you're built. And it, it's a funny analogy there is, it, you know, I don't want to get in trouble for this statement, but school now is about... You won't oh, if you do it in an accent. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to jump into an accent there. And I was like, you know, when I was a boy, school was different. Works for Jeff Dunham. Yeah. There you are. Yeah. We'd be chasing kangaroos all over the town there. Avoiding everything. Carry your booze for you. they got a little pouch right there. That's nice. Oh man! So in schools now, they're again they're they're trying to be kinder, gentler, and and I this isn't a judgment of the way things happen now in schools, and um, because I'm I'm not in that profession, I don't know, but there's <clears> all <throat> sorts of modifications for for kids and and accommodations, which again on the surface is great, but ultimately, um, you know, we had to go through school the old fashioned way you had to learn how to, and again, I'm not talking about getting the strap, although that was an effective uh, deterrent for a guy like sure say, was Rick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't think it was a deterrent at all. Look no, at you. That worked real well. Yeah, that worked real well. It's about as good as the war on drugs worked. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that's, that's just it. You, uh, you know, you, kids just like adults have to learn to deal with those things in them that, that are uh, their weaknesses. Uh, and if you don't, learn how to deal with those weaknesses, then um, it's going to be, you're going to have a lot more trouble being successful. Uh, And that's, again, going back to the analogy of having to deal with these character flaws and not avoid them. You know, I know that I'm, I'm chronically disorganized and, you know, um, you know, and scatterbrained sometimes, but uh, you know, my way of dealing with that now is, is really, you know, in my case, I have people around me that are organized and not scatterbrained. Yeah. So they help me with those things. And I, I do the things that, that are my strengths. Um, and I, I capitalize on those strengths and we all have those, you know? So it, it, that's another thing that I, I think in, I'm fairly certain I have ADD. I'm not going to, you know, diagnose myself right here. I'll ask Rick to later. Uh, pretty sure he's got some sort of degree. He does a lot of stuff online anyway, you know, pretty sure I've got some ADD and, uh, you know, if uh, I look back through school and things and I, you know, I've done a couple of those online tests and it was like, it's, it's pretty much 100% sure you have ADD. Check out our website. <laughs> and that's difficult. It's difficult to live that way. And, and you have to learn what your strengths are. It's not about, I felt weak when I was disorganized or that I remember in school looking at somebody else's notes and saying, wow, those are so neat and so <laughs> thorough. And I'd look at my page and I can't even read this. I didn't. <laughs> What am I, there's a, there's a doodle there. Like, what is that? You know, what am I even talking about here? I can't even read it. So yeah, you, you have to learn to, to capitalize on your strengths and, and take those weaknesses and, and do what you need to do with them. Maybe, maybe you don't choose a career yeah. that, that has those weaknesses in it. But again, that, that sometimes that can give you shame and all that type of stuff. Those character flaws can really lead to you wanting to avoid, you feel less than, yeah. you know, and I remember feeling that way. Because I was different than other people in the way that I thought and did things, and it's, I, I felt less than. Uh, and that also leads to to you trying to avoid that. And like, ah, and the bravado and the, and the drinking, and sure. that's your identity now. You know, I, I can be big and loud and, and, you know, a party animal. So, yeah, I, I think that I, I, you know, 
I've seen people change in recovery as well. And uh, I, I'm proud to say that at least Rick and I, I don't think, have changed that much in terms of our personalities. No. You know? Less I don't the, know if that's a compliment less, or not. No, it's uh, no, it's it's the good side of your personality. You, you just it's it's the same Rick, yet without the really twelve inch long deep cuts on your arm, <laughs> or or black eyes. Yeah, yeah, same guy. Yeah, no black eyes, no stinking of booze and other things. So, have you golfed uh, with him? He still yeah, stinks yeah, no, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he stinks. He stinks. Uh, <laughs> although we just golfed the other day and he did very well. I and, heard. Uh, I heard. Amazing. He was, he was good to me because I'm not uh, not a big golfer, more of a bocce ball kind of guy. Never played bocce ball. You know when you were Nonsense. you were talking about uh, defects and stuff, right? We've we've talked about that lots before. But what the way you were explaining it, that really coincides with the way I look at step six and seven from our program, right? Is become willing to um, have these defects removed. And it's not magic. It's not like somebody's no. just going to tap you on the shoulder and boof, they're gone, right? I'm an honest guy again. But it's like step seven then becomes willing to, to get rid of these shortcomings, right? Willing to ask them to help me. And it's like putting those things in place. I know my defects now. Now what am I going to do about them? So I don't act on them anymore. Cause they're always going to be there in the back of my mind. I know Absolutely. they are. So step seven for me is like, now I got to, now it's on me to find ways not to act out on those defects of character anymore. And if, whether that's surround yourself with people that are better at that part than you are or whatever that is. But it's all that for me, it's comes down to that accountability piece, right? Now I'm accountable for these shitty things that I know are in there. Now, what am I going to do about them in step seven? Yeah. And, and instead of, again, so you, we all have, we're all born with a, a certain base personality type and strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And I think those things, your weaknesses sometimes turn into your character defects um, because you don't know how to deal with them or, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, you want to get rid of the defects, but you're, you're, you're not likely to get rid of that base thing that's within you you just learn how to work with it yeah. and sometimes you learn how to take advantage of it even you know so a good example of that is in in my current job i have to deal with a lot of things at once and i think for a lot of people that would be extremely stressful but that is part of my personality that i can deal with a lot of things at once you know you get me to write a report and forget about it you know yeah. I'll, I'll be fired i'll be fired that day you know <laughs> but to deal with a lot of things i can do so that again that sort of scattered type personality in in one uh job or in one you know other aspect of your life might be considered a weakness or it's, it's a weakness for you but in another area if you if you capitalize on those things it's no longer yeah. a weakness now it's a strength Absolutely. so so you really have to look at that rather than again running away from those things that you consider to be your weaknesses that turn into defects yeah yeah absolutely <clears throat> i think what's what's helped me a lot over the years is uh and i is finding the the purpose behind things like it's it was really hard for me to accept what a dirtbag i was right and because like nobody wants to be that honest right nobody wants to look at their own life you know like, so critically honest and just own the terrible shit you've done right like it's it feels unfair it, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah it feels unfair yeah and especially the way at least my mind works and i'm sure you guys can relate um like, even as I'm working through those things, I've still got another voice in the back of my head that's trying to justify it or excuse it or blame somebody else for why I did the things mm -hmm. I did, right? And it's it's a really shitty process, but on the other side of it, it's like, okay, no, now I've owned this. It's mine. I, I need to take my responsibility. And again, it, it might not be for the entire situation. It might just be for my response to the situation or my 
I need to own my, I need to be 100% responsible for my 10% participation in this. Right. Um, but then to be able to flip that around and, and take that, those things that cause me so much guilt and shame and find purpose in them. And, and that purpose is being able to relate to the new guy that walks into the room. The guy, like no different than our first exchange, right? If it wasn't for your story and your experience and I'm, nobody can see, I'm looking at Bill. Um, I remember that first time I talked to you in the kitchen. I remember, I remember you telling me about your little glimmers of your war story, right? And me going, holy shit, this guy was a bit of a maniac and now he's not, right? If it wasn't for you being a bit of a maniac, I would have never been able to relate to you. And that never would have given me that initial seed planted. Like, and, and albeit it took another year and a half of watering it with whiskey for it to really get roots and grow but the a seed was planted that night and i can't honestly think back that was like the earliest seed of recovery that i have in my mind was that conversation with you wow and so all of that all of those things that were caused so much guilt and shame and took me to such terribly dark places i get to see some purpose behind it and even if that's just planting a seed for the next guy right it's like okay well that needed to happen that way and you know not that i don't regret and i don't feel bad about the pain i caused and the people i hurt and but it's done i can't undo it so you know what benefit can we get out of that because if you just look at the pain it's like man i'm speaking of avoidance yeah (laughs) yeah you can't dwell on that right like so so, uh, I, that was a big piece of my recovery is finding purpose behind it all. Because without that, it, without purpose, it's just fucking pain. Yeah. And like, ugh. <laughs> no kidding. Again, so hard to fathom though, you know, <laughs> at that stage, yeah. um, you can't imagine what that looks like. And it is nice to, but like you said, it's, it's a seed maybe. Right. But at the time, you know, that's, it's so hard to fathom that. Why would I want to go down that route? And, mm-hmm. and how hard would that be to yeah. do that, right? Um, Seemingly it, impossible. Yeah, it, it, it helps to say, well, this guy was probably a bit of a maniac and uh, he managed <clears> to do it, but that has really nothing to do with me, you know? Um, <laughs> he must be right? a different kind of maniac. Yeah, he must be a different kind of maniac, <laughs> right? Uh, so, yeah, it's, but it's, it's, so, uh, it's so hard to fathom that. And I, I just assume that, you know, recovery was white knuckling. You know, yeah. at the time, it's like, okay, we're gonna, I'm gonna be white knuckling for the rest of my life, like that. You know, again, Absolutely. you'd rather die, right? I think that's uh, everybody's perception of what it is, Absolutely, right? Is, yeah. is uh, that's what I take as our responsibility here is to show that it, there isn't, there is something beyond white knuckling, right? There is, you can live for sure a happy and sober life. It's not oh, a no constant question. fight. No question about it. And uh, you know, I I remember thinking. I don't know why this popped into my head at the time, but it was like, how am I going to stare at all those beer billboards? Because yeah. to, to me, everything, the, the media throws, you know, you know, beer and, and liquor and stuff at you all the time. And again, that was my drug of choice. But, uh, you know, it's like, how am I going to look at these things all the time? It's just like the world is like, is tempting me to come yeah. in. How am I going to walk by the bars and, you know, um, it's like, you know, if I had 10 minutes free, it's like, oh, I'm just going to go in and have a quick drink because that's fun. And how, how do I deal with that? Well, I, I don't think that way anymore. It, it doesn't, it doesn't exist. Well, yeah. I'm sure it exists, but 
it's it's definitely it's way beyond not white knuckling. I I don't think about it, but that was previously uh, for those of you listening, all I thought about, <laughs> all I thought about. Yeah, uh, and that's why you know addiction is a prison, and uh, recovery is is freedom. It's something that's always on you. It's something that you are constantly thinking about that you you can't get away from. Um, and it's your main thought when you wake up and it's your last thought when you go to bed because that it's, it's a prison that you're in and it, it has you. Um, and, and believe me, that feeling of freedom, you know, regardless of what you think and, and the white knuckling part, that feeling of freedom and, and having that monkey off your back is an amazing feeling. Um, you know, and, and that, that alone is worth it. You know, never mind not getting yourself into all these things. It's, it's worth it not to feel, you know, that, and I just I just started smoking again when I came to visit uh, Rick. Thanks a lot, Rick. Actually, it has nothing to do with Rick because Rick quit smoking. But I like to blame him because that's the kind of guy I am. Nice. Uh, and and I I was just thinking as uh, as we went in to get a coffee this morning, and I said, Hey, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wait up a smoke. I'd been quit for ten months. Uh, and Rick went in for the coffee, and I thought, Is this is this what it's about again? You know, I, I'm trapped with this thing. It's got me, you know, I can't even go in with my buddy to get a coffee. I got to sit out here and, and smoke this, this cigarette. So yeah, th- that any sort of addiction that is, it's like you're in a prison. You can't get away from it. You know, you, you, uh, you're not free. Um, and I'm just very, very happy to be free of that. It's, it's an amazing feeling. I'm smiling right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all are. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it is a prison. You're right. And I can remember how dark it gets and uh, how overwhelming, like you, you guys, we all have those same feelings, right? I remember at the end when I was trying to get into recovery, I was at treatment and, oh my gosh, even just two weeks before going to treatment, I remember how desperate I was. I didn't, it was against my will using and drinking at that point. And I did not want to drink anymore and I did not want to use cocaine anymore, but I could not stop. There was no way when my feet hit the floor, I was back again and away at the roller coaster would go again. And <laughs> I remember thinking that was the way life was just going to be forever now. Even though I wanted to stop, I didn't think it was possible. So I remember even entertaining the idea of, well, you can always, if things get really bad, you can always head west and go to Hastings Street. And now that I've been there a few times, I'm like, fuck, dude, you would have never survived on Hastings Street, right? But that's where it took me. My mind, it got so dark. I'm like, justifying it. Well, this is the way it's going to be, and I don't see any way out, and I, I can always go there, right? It's just a wild concept of what addiction where it took me because i look back now and i think man that's pure insanity yeah and at the time i thought that was that was the way life was yeah oh my gosh and you you always have an out for yourself you know yeah. i could always do this and then there's the uh the people that think if i just travel across the yeah. country the everything logistic, will be fine the logistical fix <laughs> yeah, exactly. that works yeah. well that works well <laughs> yeah. yeah my problems no. will never find me there <laughs> they'll never find yeah. me there what do you life mean be- i'm the problem yeah Life will be great. <laughs> I remember about a year before, a year before my recovery date, having a moment, this like epiphany of recognizing my behavior was not sustainable. Physically, like from a <clears throat> medical point of view, um, relationships, financial, like I remember just this, I, I remember the day going like, this is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And at that point, instead of going, I need to change, I went, well, fuck it. Better take her up a notch. Yep. Let's, let's get yeah. this done then. Right? Yeah. And which is insane to think, yeah. right. To be able to have enough 
self-awareness to recognize like I am literally killing myself and it just be like, well, if we're doing it, let's do it. Let's do it. Instead, instead of going, or, or, or maybe, (laughs) maybe we could stop. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I can always uh, stop it. Nah, 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 that's dumb. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. That's cuckoo talk. <laughs> no, I, like I, I remember that day. I remember the day going, you know, I, I remember being honest enough with myself for this brief window of time going, I cannot keep doing this. And then I remember just going, well, fuck it. We're going out with a bang then. Oh my God. And just like yeah. double down <clears throat> all efforts on all fronts, right? Yeah. My behavior, my drug <clears throat> use, my drinking, just <sighs> fuck it. And, uh, I never want to have to like go through any of that again. You just can't imagine not doing it. No. And then uh, when you're not doing it, you know, I mean, I, I can't imagine the worst hell than being back in that frame of mind again. And, um, yeah, terrible. But at the time it's like, how can I, how can I live without this? You know, exactly what you said. It's funny that your choice would be, you know, wow, I can't sustain this. Better go deeper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a better it's like, start digging yeah, with like, Exactly. You're right at the bottom of the hole and you're going, I, I have got to dig myself <laughs> deeper. I can barely see the top of this yeah. hole now, yeah. you know, <laughs> start digging. <laughs> but that is that, like, that is the insanity of the, the, of the, um, disease, right? It's just keep at all costs, keep digging. Yeah. Wow. You know, this episode I've had goosebumps. I've been sweaty. <laughs> it's wild. Just the emotions that go through you, right? It may be COVID, but, uh, also the emotions. Yeah. The good <laughs> news is you're in Alberta now, so you don't have to isolate. <laughs> yeah, you just yeah, go yeah. on about your yeah, business. That's right. Ow! Yeah. <laughs> I'm literally eating a COVID sandwich right now. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, back on track. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's get back on it here. Well, with that, is there any final thoughts? What do you, what do you want to leave us with? What nuggets you got? Uh, I don't know how many nuggets I got, but uh, <laughs> wait a second. Let me back that up. I, uh, I want to thank you guys for, uh, for having me on. I think th- this talking about this stuff always uh, makes me feel better. And, and um even, even when I think that, no, 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 I got it. I got it together. Yeah. And talking about this stuff always makes me feel better. And, uh, it brings me back to that place. And I, and again, I'm not just in my own head. Um, so, so thank you for that. Um, and for anybody listening, if, if you've heard our story and you know, you, you, you've got some logic going on up there somewhere inside your head, you know, believe it. If, uh, if the two guys I'm staring at right now can do it, you know, I'm not including myself, seriously. It's, it's not, it's not me. Then, then you can do it. And, uh, it's, it, it's absolutely worth it. Um, and you'll, there's no looking back. So thank you guys for, thank you for doing this. Thank you for to putting together our collective journey and, and thank you so much for having me on. Wow. And, uh, thanks for phoning me this morning to remind me that I should get my ass to the studio and stop being a bum. So it was a pleasure. I've heard lots about you, all good things. I'll be over to see you guys shoot rockets one of these days. And, uh, yeah, no dude, your story, I can relate to so much of your story that it just reaffirms to me that, you know, we're all different. We all have different stories, but the feelings that come with them and a lot of the situations addiction puts us in are all similar. And, uh, Frighteningly similar. Oh my gosh, it doesn't matter where you're from, right? Big city, small country, whatever. We're all the same. (laughs) It's pretty wild. And I guess I want to thank my cousin, because 
if she didn't stumble upon you, you wouldn't have stumbled into my life. And I know unequivocally I would not be here. You've saved my life more than once. So thank you for that. You stopped that. Oh. <laughs> You guys, stop holding hands. Love you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, we're holding hands. Now we're staring at each other's eyes. Let me, let me paint this for you. We love you, man. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. And with that, the end. Yes, please. From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please consider supporting OCJ by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking donate. All proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive. Thank you for listening.